Bisaba Church. It is so good to be home. <laughs> um, and please pray for my husband. <laughs> he sent out a Facebook SOS this morning. He said, I'm home alone with, the t with two boys, three and one and a half. <laughs> so um, pray for him. I know, I know he'll be fine. He's just kind of nervous. So <laughs> thank you for praying. Um, I am just happy to be here. Um, it's been two years since we moved to Maryland, and we miss Michigan so much, <laughs> except for the polar vortex. <laughs> I was saying that was the first time that we decided to not um, the building in the Sabbath School Department, and we have some super exciting things coming down the pipeline. Um, that's not why I was invited here. So. I, I'll try not to go on and on about it, but we have a new Bible study curriculum coming out that is geared for those who want to get more in-depth into Bible study. It's, it's, uh, uh, it, it takes you through an experience of studying the word for yourself and gleaning insights from the Bible. Like um, We're really excited about what it could potentially do for churches, for your Sabbath schools, for your Bible study experience, we're super stoked. So that'll be coming soon. Okay. Um, but that's, what, that's not why I'm here. I'm here because uh, my home church family invited me to come back and celebrate this International Sabbath with you all. Um, so um, I think we're going to just get into the Bible. Is that all right? I didn't give anyone any PowerPoint, so if you have your Bible, we're going to do a little bit of reading. It's a familiar story, so it, we're, we're going to read a little bit, and, and you're familiar with the whole story, so uh, I think we'll be okay without any slides. But let's have a word of prayer to start. Loving Father, um, we're thankful that we have the opportunity and the privilege to come here and praise our Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would take out of the way the things that could distract us from focusing on your word. And Father, that the Holy Spirit would be in our midst to be our teacher, to be the one who helps us to understand what scripture has to say to us. Would you know that I have nothing worthwhile to say, but I trust that if you could speak through a rock, potentially, if you could speak through a donkey and you did, that surely you could speak through me. So bless us with your word. In your name we pray, amen. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. It's not Christmas time, but I read a quote that says, the, the story of Bethlehem and the birth of Christ is an exhaustless theme. That is, we can keep coming back to it again and again, and, and we haven't begun to scratch the surface with what we can glean from that story. So as I was thinking about how do we, how do we talk about this concept of, of rejoicing at the, at the notion of the second coming of Jesus. Lo, he comes, let us rejoice. The, the thing that came to my mind is maybe we can look at the Bible and see the people who rejoiced when he came the first time, and maybe there are some things we can glean from doing that. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at six characters or groups of people in the Bible who rejoiced uh, or had a positive response to the first coming of Jesus. 
Uh, a couple of months ago, uh, my son, my eldest son, who is now three, was two at the time, started to understand when, when, when I'll talk about heaven. So I said, uh, son, Jesus is coming soon. Amen. The first questions he asked was, is he coming in a plane? <laughs> I was like, Jesus doesn't need a plane. He's just gonna, he, he can fly which is like mind-boggling, right? Super exciting for a little kid, little boy. And then um, we were having worship one day and he was looking at the picture of Jesus coming back. And he's like, Mama, Jesus is coming back, coming soon. I said, yes, he is. Why? I said, Jesus is coming to take us to heaven. And I said this with so much excitement. So I was a little dismayed at his response. He said, Mama, I don't want to go to heaven. For a Christian mom trying to raise her kids in the faith, that was kind of scary. I was like, um, we're like starting on the wrong foot here. <laughs> but, I, but I thought, let me, let, me, let me take it a step back. Let me just pause. Maybe see why he doesn't want to go to heaven. And I said, Sonny, why? Why don't you want to go to heaven? I said, he said, Mama, I want to stay home. And I realized that I, I said, Jesus is coming to take us to heaven, but here my two-year-old had no concept of what's this foreign place, heaven. It's like saying, hey, we're gonna go to Myanmar. And he's like, I don't wanna go there. I don't know what they eat. I don't know, I don't know how they live. I don't know who is there. And I, I, it, it really vexed my mind and it got me to thinking about how do I introduce, he introduce heaven to my son? I, I want, my children to grow up wanting to go to church, wanting the things of, of Christ, not going because they have to, right? Um, and for those of you who grew up in the church, some of you can relate to some of what I'm talking about. And so, so I, I started pondering and I started praying. I said, Lord, Lord, help me to introduce this concept of going to heaven in the right way. And the first thing the Lord laid on my heart was, he's not gonna, gonna wanna go to heaven unless he wants to be with the people who are gonna be there. So I, I started telling him how, you know, when we go to heaven, all of us are gonna go. Mama, Tatai, your little brother's gonna be there, your grandparents, Lola and Lolo, and, and we're all gonna be in heaven, it's gonna be great, your friends from church. And, and the most important person who'll be there is Jesus. Do you wanna be with Jesus? And he said, no. <laughs> not doing well as a parent right now. <laughs> it's like parent confessions. <laughs> and and, and, and for, 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 for us to want to go to heaven to be with Jesus, I need to want to be with Jesus. It, I mean, it's so simple, right? Like, because the most important thing when we get to heaven is to be in eternity with God. And if I don't want to be with God, then you know, it, it kind of loses its value. Luke chapter one. This is after the angel had announced, uh, after uh, Elizabeth had conceived. So this is in the sixth month, verse 26 of Luke chapter one. It's in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. It says, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth 
to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Mary is this young woman. She is a young woman who is engaged to be married. Those of you who have been married and remember what that experience was like of looking forward to your wedding. Um, for most young women, you're thinking whether it's you're excited about the celebration, you're excited about the dress, you're excited about you, you know, starting a new life, this, this notion of, of, of expectation. And that's where Mary was. She was, she was young and, and got your whole future ahead of you. Now, the news that Gabriel brought to her, yes, it's good news, but I, I just, let's, let's humanize Mary for once, right? Mary's like super awesome, mother of Jesus, but let's, let's try and put ourselves in Mary's shoes. You're a young woman, and you've got your whole life ahead of you. Comes an angel from heaven and tells you that you are going to be pregnant out of wedlock. And ain't nobody going to believe your story. <laughs> right? Uh, virgin birth. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> what does that do to your, to, your, to your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations for yourself, for your future, your, 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 your vision of who you were supposed to be? And, and I'm not saying Mary felt negative about it, but I'm saying that sometimes the good news about Jesus coming kind of disrupts our reality. Sometimes the good news of Jesus coming may lead to a life that we had not anticipated, the social stigma that comes with being a woman pregnant out of wedlock. Where I come from, girls commit suicide before they would tell their parents that that happened. Where I come from, I remember I was, when I was a teenager, I asked my mom, I said, Mommy, what would you do if I told you that I was pregnant out of wedlock? And she kind of got scared. Um, she was like, um, <laughs> kind of like, are you trying to tell me something? Which I wasn't. But the reason I brought it up was because a friend of mine was pregnant out of wedlock and trying to figure out what to do. And I knew, like, she was nervous to tell her parents because they would disown her. The weird thing was, her parents knew that she wasn't exactly living the straight and narrow, if you know what I mean. But that wasn't the problem that they had. The problem was, I mean, if you're not living the straight and narrow and you know, your stuff is kind of under wraps, you can still present like a decent face at church. But once she gets pregnant, and I asked my mom, like, oh, the, the baby isn't the problem. The problem is how you were living to get there, right? But here's Mary. She didn't do anything wrong, but her life is about to completely change. Sometimes when the good news about Jesus comes, sometimes living a life in expectation of the coming of Christ can lead to being viewed in a way that we would not appreciate, that we would not prefer. And sometimes... Maybe this happens more with young people. I'm, I know I'm getting on the older side of the spectrum, but I'm still, I'm like right at the border. You know the cutoff is like 35? I'm like right there. Okay. So I'm still a young person. Sometimes as young people, we, 
sometimes we can be so concerned about what people think of us. And I have a hard time praying before I eat in the cafeteria because I'm worried about what people will think about me. Or I have a hard time, you know, for the older young people, I have a hard time in my workplace acting a certain way or, or saying certain, I can't even say the word Sabbath, right? So what did you do this weekend? Oh, on the Saturday, <laughs> I went to church. You know, because I don't want people to think I'm weird. And sometimes we can get so concerned about the social stigma that being a witness for Jesus and that he is coming soon can, uh, can be an inconvenience. Are you following what I'm saying, church? Let's go to the next story, My, Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one. Verse 19, she will recap in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. While he thought on these things, an angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, here's Joseph. He's a good guy. He's a very good guy. He's the kind of guy who, even though Mary has this incredible, as in hard to believe story, he still is concerned about her welfare. And, and he's thinking about the, the best solution that would protect her as well. Like he's a really good guy. Now an angel comes to him and tells him, Joseph, we, I, the, the instruction from the Lord is that you marry this woman. I think um, men's brains and women's brains generally work differently. At least my husband's and mine work very differently. And, and I remember my wedding day. I was walking out there thinking like, oh, this is so awesome. This is so beautiful. It was in Israel and Judy's backyard. And it was, it was like perfect lighting for the cameras. And like, that's what I was thinking about. I'm like, oh, I'm going to look gorgeous in my pictures. And like, I was really, I, those are the kind of thoughts that were in my mind. And you know what my husband was thinking about? And he was standing there looking all solemn. He was thinking, all right, man, this is for real. Like, I'm going to have a wife. I'm going to be responsible for taking care of this woman. You know, I mean, our minds were in different, uh, we were both excited. But we're, our, the, the things that were concerning us were kind of different. And I picture Joseph, he's, he's older than Mary. He knows what he's walking into. He's, we learn that he's got children before Mary um, because Jesus has older siblings. And so he's, he's had children before. He's, he's probably marrying Mary to help him take care of the kids that he already has. And then he gets this news that, you know what, you're going to marry this woman. And you're coming into it not just with a kid who is not your child, but you're coming into it with a child who is the son of God. Men, what weight of responsibility is that? I mean, it's one thing to be a father, right? And my, my father took in a, a, a daughter who was not his biological child. And I'll tell you, for my sister, 
it means a lot to her that he did that. And she, she tells him, she's like, you know, I never felt like I wasn't part of the family because, because our father made me feel like I belonged. But what weight of responsibility, not just to be taking in a child, but this child, you know who the daddy is. And you know he gonna give you a beat down if you don't take care of his child. I mean, the king of the universe and you are responsible for being a father to the son of God. I think we live in an age where responsibility a lot of times is shirked. The responsibility that comes with knowing who Jesus is. The responsibility that comes with being part of a church family, taking church office, you know, teaching Sabbath school class and being there on time. We're living in an age where responsibility is being more and more shirked. They say that uh, young people are getting married later and later in life. They're uh, buying a house later and later in life if they're even gonna buy a house because it's a huge responsibility to own a house. You live in an apartment, they come in, they fix stuff. You know, you live in a house, you've gotta fix your own light bulbs, you know. <laughs> and, and, and responsibility becomes uh, something that is an inconvenience. So here's Joseph with this news. Jesus is coming, he's coming soon, and it means some level of inconvenience to you as far as the responsibilities that you are called upon to bear. Let's turn back to Luke. We're just going through the story, uh, looking at the different characters who, the, the sermon is titled Joy in Spite Of. And the idea is, this, this news of Jesus coming back, it's great news, amen? It's, it's, it's wonderful news, but it, 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 it comes with inconvenience sometimes. It comes with in spite of X, Y, Z. But you see that these people that we're looking at today, that in spite of the inconvenience, in spite of the social stigma, in, they rejoiced at the coming of the Savior. Mary, our scripture reading was, is, is called in theology the Magnificat. It's Mary praising God for what he is doing in her, for the Messiah who is coming, because it doesn't matter what people are gonna think about me. I'm just excited that Jesus is coming. Luke chapter one, oh, I beg your pardon, Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two, verse one. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. All went to be taxed. Joseph went from Galilee. Um, let's skip down in verse eight. Mary has given birth and it says, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. Jesus, the son of God, has finally descended upon earth. All of heaven is filled with joy. I mean, to the point of bursting at its seams because this is, I mean, it's a mind-blowing event that has just transpired. God, who is creator of all, and we learn of Jesus, you know, through him all things were made and in him all things consist. 
This same Jesus is now in the body of a baby. Wonder of wonder, miracle of miracles. This is incredible. And heaven is looking for an, an outlet. It's like if heaven was like about to burst, it's like, where do we burst? And so angels are scouring the country, where the area where Jesus was born, looking for someone they can talk to about this. Have you ever had such good news you have to tell somebody? And you're walking around and nobody's ready to listen to you and you're like, God! That's how I imagine the angels were. And as they're looking over the country, they finally find the only candidates that were ready to receive the message. And the only candidates were ready, who were ready to receive the message were lowly shepherds, uneducated, not rich. These guys were hired help. They're the ones who watch the sheep, not the owners of the sheep. They're out there working night shift, right? Because they're out in the middle of the night watching these sheep. And apparently their hearts were receptive to this message that Jesus has come to earth. They're, they're sitting there on the hillside thinking about the prophecies that are about to be fulfilled. Like this is the time that Jesus should be coming. And they're, they're open and they're talking about Jesus coming back. And so the angels come and they show up to them and they say, we've got good news for you. You know, uh, there's, there, there can be a, a, a mentality that, you know, when I get rich or when I'm finally established, when I finally finish my education, when I finally get to X or Y point in life, then I'll be ready to spend time meditating on the word of God. You know, uh, a good friend of mine introduced me to Fiddler on the Roof. I had never seen it before, and she introduced it to me. And in there, there's a song by a, the, the main protagonist, and he says, if I were a rich man. Okay. <laughs> And, and, and he says, he goes through this list, litany of things that he would do if he were a wealthy man. And then he says, the sweetest thing of all is that he would go to synagogue and he would meditate on the word of God seven hours every day, right? And, and for him, he's like, if I were rich, then I would have time to spend time with God. And how many of us can fall into that? You know, as soon as when I'm done with my studies, you know, when, when this busy phase of my life is done, when, when I'm not working overtime to make ends meet, when, when, when X or Y or Z finally happens, then I'm going to have time to serve the Lord. Then I'm going to have time to spend time in his word. But here are these poor shepherds in the midst of their vocation, in the midst of their poverty, in the midst of working night shift, they're talking about Jesus. They're anticipating the coming of Jesus such that when heaven needs somebody to share this great news with, they're the only people ready to listen. Let's keep going in our story. Jesus is born, they go, they see, they see the Messiah. And in verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. 
And verse 22, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And here it is in verse 25. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Simeon lived in the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was like the capital, right? He lived in the big city. And in spite of living in the city, where all these distractions are all around him, the place where you know politics is happening, you know, and and people are vying for positions, and people are are discussing whether Rome should be in charge or how do they take over. This is the place where this was the the, the this was the Lansing of Michigan. <laughs> this is where the, the conference headquarters were, right? And this is where you you know you're you're watching to see who's going to be the next president and who's going to take this position. This is the stuff that was happening around him, but Simeon didn't get caught up in that stuff. He wasn't going to church to see who would hold what position, right? He, he, wasn't, he wasn't going to work and having his mind so engrossed in, in the world and in the things that were surrounding him, in the distractions that were around him. Simeon, it says he was a devout man. He was a devout man living in a city. Now look, city life has its perils. Look at Lot. Lost his family. City living. But here's a man living in a city with all the distractions that come with it. And he was a devout man. Now, nowadays it doesn't even mean living in the city. You could be living in this countryside and have all the distractions of the city in your bathroom. It's with this guy. And we take it everywhere. I mean, I was uh, on the flight here. Uh, half of the plane was was uh, older people on the older older end of the spectrum, and, and uh, I was surprised that everybody was on their device. I mean, everybody. There's nobody I sat next to who said hi to me, or who I could get a word in ed edgewise to say hi. Which I'm kind of introverted, so I didn't really mind. But I was kind of like, aren't we supposed to like at least say hi? <laughs> you know? But because. As soon as I got on the plane, they were sitting there with their device open, what their, their stuff in their ears, and it's kind of like, leave me alone. You know? And I was like, you don't have to be a, quote, young person to be distracted by all this stuff. I think the game, the guy on my flight from Detroit to Lansing, he was playing, I think it's called Candy Crush. It's the one like, with like bright colors and, yeah. And I was like, isn't that like a kid game? I mean, he was into it. <laughs> the distractions that surround us, the distractions that, that it's, it's like we're afraid to be alone with our thoughts. We're, you know, we're, we're afraid of the silence. We're afraid of, of the quiet. We're afraid of what will happen if we allowed our minds to think through what's happening around us, what's happening in our own hearts. And if the devil can keep us so distracted by stuff, sometimes it's really good stuff too. Like we only watch good YouTube videos, <laughs> but it's one after the other after the other. And before you know it, like we've had no time for reflection, no time for Jesus. Yet Simeon, living in the midst 
of a city, of distractions. He was a devout man. The Bible goes on to tell us about somebody else who was devout. Because Simeon comes in and he sees Jesus and all of the priests didn't recognize Jesus, but the Holy Spirit led him to recognize the Savior. In verse 36, we're still in Luke chapter 2, verse 36. It says, and there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Fenuel of the tribe of Aser. She was of great age. She had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about four score and four years, which is how many years? 84 years. And she did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Here you have Anna. By all standards, she's lived a, a rough life. For a woman then, you know, you lose your husband, you don't just go and get a job. That, that women, the, the way the economy was set up, you kind of needed like a male sponsor to help navigate life. And she had lived 84 years. But every day, it says she did not depart from the temple. She was there every single day. Now, I look at Anna and, and, and I think of a situation I had when it was right at the beginning of my, I guess, missionary time. Um, and I was, attending, uh, I was attending a church super excited about giving Bible studies, super stoked about, you know, like the Lord working and seeing all these things. You know, so it comes time to share testimonies at church, and I'm talking about, like, all these awesome things that I, I see God doing. After service, one lady comes up to me, and she's like, oh, you remind me of when I was young. And I was like, okay. It's like, I used to work for the Lord. I was so on fire. Yeah, you should do that while you're young because it'll go away. I was so heartbroken. I was like, Lord, may I never be like her. It came like a prayer for me. Like, I'd mention her name in prayer. May I never be like Mrs. <laughs> like, Lord, keep me from that and then also help her to like, to find that first love. Because after 84 years, it says that Anna was coming every single day. 84 years after losing her husband, she was still coming faithfully and departed not from the synagogue, from the temple. Now, this, do you know what I love about, about this is, is, here's Anna, she's old. Simeon, same thing. Simeon, when he held, after he held Jesus and, and pronounced that blessing, he said, Lord, now I may die content because I have seen the Messiah. Like he was like, just, just let me live that long. So this brother was old, right? Simeon is old, Anna's old, but, but they still have this fire in their bones. And I, I remember as a young person, a younger young person, <laughs> I remember um, when I was considering giving my life to Jesus, I was like nine or 10 and I was really scared because I looked at old people in church and I was like, God, will I make it? <laughs> like, can I be like 
that old and still love Jesus like with all my heart. And here is a biblical example of that. And I believe we have that, those examples in our lives. Like you look at them and you're like, man, like gray hairs and everything and they're praising Jesus. And the lesson I get from Simeon, from Anna, doesn't matter your age. Doesn't matter, I've been in the church so long. And here's Anna, she was surrounded, she was in the, in the temple every day. She saw the, the, the corruption that was there. Did she not see it? She saw it. But she, she didn't get bogged down by, by the, the politics and the corruption that she saw in the church because she was there for a reason. She was there for God. And that fire didn't go out. After all those years, it's an encouragement to me that yes, if time should tarry, I believe Jesus is coming soon. And I'm praying Simeon's prayer, like Lord, let me see him in my lifetime. But if time were to tarry, that Jesus can give me the strength to be as excited about Jesus then as when I began my journey with him, actually to be more excited. How many was that? Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, Simeon, Anna. We're on the last one. Okay. Let's turn back to Matthew. After, after I, I had prepared the sermon, last night I was reviewing my sermon notes and I realized that there's a seventh character that I didn't prepare to share about. So I was like, and when I was preparing, I was like, six, man, it'd be awesome if it was seven, because seven is complete. And then I found the, the seventh one, and, and, and I tried really hard to prepare it, but it, it's not ready for me to present. So there are seven, go find it, okay. <laughs> People who are happy <laughs> at the news of Jesus coming. Matthew chapter two. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. These wise men came all the way from the east. They traveled a very, very long way. And when you hear that these wise men came from the east, that means these wise men weren't from Judea. They weren't Jewish in their heritage. So these came from an unbeliever's background. Right? They weren't born into the church. But they saw something and it ignited an interest in them and they studied it out and they said, we're gonna follow through with what we have seen. And so here they are, they're following the star and they take as long as it takes them. And it's estimated it took them like two years to get there. And, and they, they're following, following the truth that was made revealed to them all the way. And you know what else we learn about these wise men is that they were men of means because to embark on a journey that long takes means because you, you need to be able to, to finance such a trip. And we also know that they were men of means by the nature of the gifts that they brought, gold, frankincense, myrrh. They were affluent men. They were wise men. They were educated men. 
because they had the means to study out what they were seeing and figure it out. The Bible is telling me that whether you're poor and educated, uneducated, whether you're a shepherd or you're rich, affluent, educated, person of means, that the truth of Jesus coming is for all of us. The Bible is telling me that whether you're a young woman, you're Mary, or you're an old woman, you're Anna, the truth about Jesus coming is for you. It's telling me that whether you're, you're a man or a woman, whether you are Simeon or Anna, the truth about Jesus coming is for you. It's saying that whether you are from Jerusalem or you're a wise man all the way from the east, the truth about Jesus coming is for you. This gospel of the second coming of Christ is for people of all nations. It's a gospel for, for people from different backgrounds. It's for people from, from different lifestyles, people from, from, from who were born in the church to people who were born out of the church. This truth is for everyone. And no, I love you know, this, the, the celebration of International Sabbath. Let's be honest about the state of the world. The world doesn't know how to get along. You know, we, we can have affirmative action and force companies to hire certain types of people. But that doesn't bring people together because you'll still have racism in the workplace. You'll still have prejudice at sitting at the same table because you're forced to. The world doesn't know how to do it. But you know who knows how to do it. God does. That is the power of the gospel. It brings people together. It brings people together who would never sit in the same building. But because they have a love for Jesus, they'll sit in the same church. They will serve together, serving the Lord. That is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is what's happening right here in you, church. And the world needs to see this. You know, uh, when I was a missionary, no, no, this was after. I was working for campus, and I had to send a huge shipment of books. Some people had bought some books. And it was boxes and boxes. Um, so I asked a friend of mine to help me. And she happened to have a couple of friends visiting with her. So she brought them along. And they happened to be guys, so they would carry the books. We take the books to the post office. And when we get there, the, the clerk, is she called a clerk? The postal worker person? OK. Uh, well, she, she's, uh, she looks at us. And she's like, oh, so, uh, so you guys work together? We're like, uh, we're friends. And she's like, you guys are friends? We're like, yeah, we're friends. Like, where are you from? I'm like, oh, well, I'm from Zimbabwe. Where are you from? I'm like, well, you know, uh, I'm Korean, but I grew up in Maryland. <laughs> Did I make her sound ditzy? She, it's not ditzy, it's just like, she has a higher pitched voice than me. <laughs> <laughs> and so she asked, you know, the other, the other person, where are you from? He's like, well, I'm, I'm Korean too. <laughs> I grew up in Berrien Springs. Uh, I was like, where are you from? He's like, well, uh, he's like, I'm from uh, Maryland. And she's like, no. He's like, well, my parents are Indian. <laughs> and, and, and she looked at us and she said, so all y'all are friends? And we're like, yeah. She's like, where do you know each other from? It's like, oh, well, I guess we met at church, through church, 
And she was like, this is crazy. So you guys come from like completely different backgrounds and you're friends. I mean, I have, I have many stories like that. Like we, we went, when I, was, when I was a missionary, we went on a mission trip, we drove to, down to Maryland to see the GC and like do ministry down there. And, and as we're on our way back, we stopped at a, not IHOP, what's the other breakfast one? Pan, pan, what a, pancake house, it was a pancake house. Yeah, waffle, pancake, waffle house? One of the houses where you eat breakfast. <laughs> So we stopped there to eat, and, and I mean, we're, we were two vanfuls, so as many as that could be, right? So we're sitting there having breakfast, and as we were leaving, several people stopped several people in our group, and they're like, who are you guys? You know, and it was like, no, we're, we're students, you know, and we were, went down to do mission work, you know, we're part of a Christian organization on campus, and all these people were baffled. They were baffled because it was a group of diverse young people hanging out. Like, I mean, they're like, and you guys are friends? Look, when the world sees that, when the world sees this, it's a testimony to what only God can do. And I know that it comes with its struggles. Look, my husband is Filipino, you know, and I'm Zimbabwean. I know it comes with its struggles. <laughs> you know, but, but the beauty that comes out of it, you know, the testimony of what God can do to bring people together. When, when, when an older person and a younger person can fellowship together. In a world where young people do their own thing and old people do their own thing, when we can have worship together, when, when women and men can work together in the work of the Lord, amen. When, when, when whatever background you came from, regardless of the history that was there, when I, when I can talk to, uh, is, is England here yet? Yeah. Not yet? Look, they colonized my people. <laughs> but I'm cool with them. <laughs> That's what Jesus can do for us. He can bring Japanese and Koreans together to worship together. He does that. This is the beauty of the gospel. And you know what? The second thing I realized with my son, one is Jesus. Recognizing the value of Jesus, which is what these people who rejoiced at his coming did. They saw, even though it brought inconvenience, even though it brought social stigma, even though it meant a little discomfort, the weight of the beauty of Jesus far outweighed the, quote, discomfort. And Jesus was worth it. And you know what else I realized from my son? I was like, son, he needs to experience heaven on earth because he wants to go home. And I realized that he wasn't wrong. He said, Mama, I don't want to go to heaven. I want to go home. He's not wrong. Heaven ought to be home. And it starts here. So if I can't worship with you here, how am I going to worship with you in heaven? If we can't work it out by the grace of God here, 
Why would I want to go be up there with you? If we can't do church together here, we're not preparing to do church together up there. So I prayed, I said, Lord, help us to make our home a little heaven on earth. Help us to make this church a little heaven on earth. In spite of the challenges through the sanctifying grace of Jesus, give us the strength to make this a taste of heaven. Then when I asked my son, we have made progress, I'd like to announce, <laughs> that most recently, he said, Mama, I didn't ask him this time, he said, Mama, I want to go to heaven. I said, really? Why? He said, because Jesus is my friend. Amen. And it just melted my heart. Amen. It's a miracle. <laughs> I'm like, oh. I want to go to heaven because Jesus is my friend. I want to go to heaven because y'all will be there. And I want to spend eternity with you. This is the beauty that we celebrate today on International Sabbath. The gift of unifying love through the power of Jesus Christ. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word.